Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my new friend, Emma Edwins. Welcome to the podcast, Emma. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Um, Emma sent me an outline. I felt impressed. Just to, It's about a seven-point outline, so I thought I would read the outline for you so you could kind of get an idea of the content of this podcast. Um, first, Emma's going to share a little bit of her history with the church and her conversion, and then she's going to share a little bit about why she left the church, and she was gone for about 10 years, and then she's going to talk about her time away from the church, including her tra- decision to transgender, um, to transition, sorry, genders, um, and, ad- and Emma identifies as a as a woman, transgender woman. Is that okay? For, is that okay vocabulary, Emma? Yeah. Yep, it is. And then she's going to talk about her work in LGBTQ advocacy, as well as her decision to go back to grad school and become a therapist to work with the LGBTQ population. Emma lives in St. Paul, Minnesota, and has finished her Master's of Marriage and Family Therapy and is a licensed clinical counselor. Then, that's kind of a whole podcast right there, but it's not over, listeners. (laughs) Then she's going to talk about her decision. Oh no! I've missed a bullet point here. She'll talk about about the mental, the medical research that's been done about medical transitions and the outcome on mental health. Then she's going to talk about her decision to return the church, return to the church as a transgender in, individual that underwent medical transition, and why she's staying in the church. And lastly, she's going to talk about her decision to start a YouTube channel, which we'll link to in the show notes. Um, where members of the church can talk about their conversion stories. And um, if you are a new convert to the church or a convert to the church at any time period, um, you might consider being on Emma's channel. I think our joint hope is this. I like the concept. Charlie Bird's used it recently in his new book, Expanding the Borders of Zion. And to me, Zion includes creating space for our queer members. And um, in that umbrella, obviously, are transgender Latter-day Saints. And some leave um, because of some of the things we say and do at church, and they don't feel welcome. Some do have a testimony of a restored doctrine. Emma might share some of that decided to stay. But I think part of this podcast will also be Emma inviting us what we can do better as Latter-day Saints to support transgender Latter-day Saints. And this is all part of expanding the borders of Zion and um, creating space for everybody. We needed everybody. Um, we're better off with our transgender members than, um, than the opposite of that, whatever vocabulary that is. Is that okay, Emma, for an introduction? Yeah, that was great. Thank you. So I'll just turn it off. This is a very unique story, um, listeners. I'm grateful for Emma sharing this. So I'll turn it to Emma to share her story. Yeah, so I guess I'll just sort of give a brief history of um, how I came to the church. So I am a convert. Um, I first learned about the church when I was 14 in high school. I had a friend who was a Latter-day Saint, and um, somebody had sort of like poked fun at her about this. And I was like, what is, what's they called her a Mormon. I'm like, what is a Mormon? I don't even know what that is, because I'd never... Never heard of the church, never knew anything about it. Um, 
and she invited me to church. And I actually, the first time I went to church was actually um, early morning seminary at 5.30 in the morning. And um, I was given, you know, a set of scriptures. I was given a Book of Mormon and, you know, was given the sort of the pitch, right, of if you read this and pray to know if it's true, like, you know, the Spirit will testify that it's true. And that very much happened. I... I think I read even just the first couple words of First Nephi, and like I knew, like I had such a powerful spiritual experience, like in my bedroom by myself reading the Book of Mormon. Like I, there, like I just knew that this was, this is, this is where I belonged. This was my going to be my home. This was, this was truth, and I felt that. Um, and I never really lost that testimony. Like I've always like that is very, very powerful memory for me. Um I wasn't allowed to be baptized as a teenager. My parents were not supportive of my decision to um try to get baptized. They didn't want me to be a Latter-day Saint. They were, I mean, there was lots of arguments about it. Um, so it became kind of difficult at times through high school to go to church because there was sort of a lot of pressure when I was meeting with missionaries to get baptized and my parents were not supportive at all. Um, I mean, eventually I did do, I met with sister missionaries who were wonderful and we went through all of the like pre-baptism lessons and then all of the ones for new members, even though I hadn't been baptized, they had gotten permission to do that. And so, I mean, I went to church on and off through high school, going to seminary, going to Sunday, you know, sacrament meetings, and I loved it, but it was really hard because my parents were just really not supportive. They wouldn't take me to church. They wouldn't drive me. And when you don't have a license, it's hard. Um, so just to sort of keep it short, I eventually, when I got to college, I, I didn't immediately go and get baptized my first semester. I kind of lived a not so righteous life as one often does in their freshman year of college. Um, but my second semester of my freshman year, I did... A friend of mine that I had gone to church with had been like, all right, did you go get baptized? Because that was something that I had sort of promised I was going to do. And then I felt like, oh my goodness, I didn't do this. I should have done it. So I went back up to school. And after Christmas break, I went back and I walked right into the Institute building on the campus and the elders, Elder Dietrich and Elder Hall, who I still talk to to this day, um, were sitting there and I walked up to them and said, I want to get baptized. And they were sort of like dumbfounded, like, what? Who's this person that we've never met that wants to get baptized? Um, And I sort of explained, like, I'd been through the missionary lessons multiple times um like i knew the church was true i knew all about the plan of salvation i like i knew all of it well not all of it but i knew everything that you would need to know to get baptized so they very quickly ran me through the lessons and i want to say within a week if i remember it was about a week after i met them i got baptized um and oh college was 
me running into a lot of issues again with my parents. I wanted to go on a mission. My parents basically said they would disown me if I went on a mission before I finished school. They sort of made this tongue-in-cheek promise of, if you finish school, we'll pay for you to go on a mission. Like, they sort of... It was a tactic. They wanted me to delay that decision. And um, and that was really a big like stumbling block for me at that time. Um, I struggled a lot with that because I don't have a lot of family. And so having my only very close family members be like, we're going to disown you, that was really hard. Um, so I just... Jumped into church as much as I could. I took institute classes. I was on a scholarship for people, members of the church, who, where I like had a dorm room filled with all members, and we had things that we had to do. And one of the things we had to do was pretty much be very full time in our institute and coming to church and participating in our callings and all of that stuff. Um, so that sort of my like intro into the church um after that i don't know if you want me to get into sort of me leaving church or not but tell us a little bit about that um and tell us where you where were you at college during this time uh, where was i i was in colorado so you joined the church in colorado yep in greeley colorado very smelly town for anyone who's (laughs) been there they know smells like cows. That's Um, great. I, in my senior year of college, I had left, I'd stopped going to church for a little while and then had come back because I've also struggled in my life with like addiction issues, with substance use issues. And I had one of my first moments of maybe alcohol is really, really bad. And like, maybe the church was right about not drinking alcohol. And so that sort of brought me back to church. And I, um, you know, I went pretty religiously until I graduated. And then um, I ended up moving to Minnesota because I had met a girl. Well, I had known her before, but we ended up you know, dating. And I actually convinced her to join the church. She was not thrilled about that. And she only really did it for me, which became obvious later. But um, I moved to Minnesota to be with her because she was in um, grad school and I wasn't. And this was 2009. So the economy had just crashed. And I was like, I don't want to stay in grad school. I'm going to go get a job somewhere, which was maybe not the best decision. But um so I moved to Minnesota. I eventually got married to her. Um, we didn't really go to church. I did. There was a brief period when I think I was about 25, 26. I think I was about 26. I did start to go back to church again because I was like, I miss this. Like, you know, I came here and we got married and then you just sort of like went inactive and I kind of followed and like, I don't want to do that. So I went back to church and, and I don't, I don't know exactly what happened, but I think I was just to the point of like, why do I keep going back and forth with this? I've come and gone so many times and I made the decision, not great decision, to read, you know, anti-Mormon literature, anti-church literature. Um, 
Because I was sort of like, well, if this is true, then I'm going to read this and it's not going to matter. And it's, you know, I'm going to know that it's still true. And that was not what happened at all. Um, And I read stuff that, like, I've gone back since coming back and I've read it again. And it doesn't hold the same weight that it did back then. Um, I just think overall I felt very... Sort of disenfranchised with the church and really started to believe that it was all sort of a, a ruse and that Joseph Smith was sort of like a con man. I don't believe that anymore, but like I sort of had this like feeling of, oh, he just bamboozled these people into like giving him money and whatever. And so I. I very much lost my faith. I very much was like, nope, I'm never coming back. I'm done. I. You know, I got rid of my patriarchal blessing. I I think I got rid of one set of scriptures, but I kept one of them, which was, you know, I think my subconscious going, well, we're not done with this yet. <laughs> but, um, so I stopped going to church and there were times over the years that I missed it and thought about coming back, but, um, Not too long after this happened, that's when I came to accept. I had already sort of realized earlier that I was transgender. Um, And I, just a little bit of the story behind that, I had a dream when I was about 28. I think I was 28, about to turn 29. I had a dream that, and I remember every detail of this dream, even almost 10 years later. Um, I had a dream that I was like in a prison and that I was trying to escape the prison and a guard found me in my escape attempt and I lied and said I was just going to the bathroom and so they like ushered me into the bathroom and so I had to like pretend like I was going to the bathroom so I went in the stall and you know you pulled down your pants and (laughs) I realized in the dream that I had a female body and it was that realization was the single most relieving thing I have ever felt in my entire life. I was so like, oh, finally, finally, I am in the body I should be in. This is what, like, this is what it's supposed to be. And that's something that, you know, I'd always really struggled with dysphoria to varying degrees, gender dysphoria. Um I didn't have words or vocabulary for it until my like mid to late twenties. So when I had this dream and it was so unbelievably just relieving, it was like this 10,000 pound weight had been lifted off of me. And then I woke up and I was in a male body still. And that was probably the most heartbreaking end of a dream I've ever had. Like, I was so, it just, it sat with me and I couldn't shake it. And I, the more I thought about it, the more I was like, I, I know I've known all along that I was a girl inside, whether I named it that or not. Like I had never felt comfortable being a man. I'd never felt like I belonged when I was in priesthood or when I was around guy friends, like it never felt, it always felt like I had to act like I had to put on an act. And so 
so I just sort of was like, I think I might be transgender. I think I'm actually a girl and that I've always been that and I've always known it and I'm only finally just going to accept it. Um, and then I was like, well, I need to make sure that I'm not just doing this on a whim. So I went into therapy and I met with a therapist to be like, I think I'm experiencing this. Can you help me figure it out? And um, I want to say it was about four months after the dream that I made the decision to start taking hormones, so hormone replacement therapy. Because um, I made the dis- very, very scary decision to transition genders. It was, and it was very much a either I'm going to not to be too cavalier either i'm going to kill myself or i'm going to transition genders because i couldn't bear being in a male body anymore i just couldn't once i finally accepted that that was a thing it was just unbearable to stay Um, and all the while i wasn't you know i wasn't going to church um i made that decision i started hormones my wife and i stayed together for about a year until eventually we did get divorced and the primary reason was just i was a woman and she'd married a man and we loved each other and we were still like really good friends but she didn't she wasn't gay she wasn't a lesbian so um my marriage ended and After that, my life got really not great. I struggled a lot with that divorce. I struggled a lot with that loss. I struggled a lot with experiencing the world from a very different perspective. You know, I went from having cisgender, heteronormative, white privilege to being just about, not completely, but just about the least privileged person in the room. And and that was a very difficult transition and very eye-opening to how much like privilege and you know just how much like unconscious bias there is in our society um i don't think how to best sort of summarize the rest so that's sort of when i decided to become a therapist my therapist had helped me so much and I was like, you know, I really want to help other people going through this because most therapists even today aren't completely competent to help transgender individuals. They don't they don't understand it. I think it's getting a lot better. Um, and there are more and more transgender or gender non-conforming therapists that are getting licensed and starting to practice, but it's kind of hard to find someone who is like actually really competent in working with people like me. So I wanted to become that. I wanted to help other people, which is why I went back to grad school to get my marriage and family therapy degree. Um, Just a comment is, is your, Catching your thoughts, um, listeners, the things that struck me about Emma um, is just, you know, her, her, her story to really understand truth, truth in her church, truth in herself, 
um, this is a really thoughtful, capable, bright woman. Um, and I don't say that just because she's college educated and has a graduate degree, but you're very thoughtful, very intentional on um, your journey to join our church, your journey to try to find your way in life, this dream you had and sort of recognizing gender dysphoria. It really struck me when you said, you know, you went from sort of the bullseye of privilege as a cisgender heterosexual man, um, and you gave up all of that or most of that to be where you are. And I just sort of think to myself, well, why would anybody choose this? Why would somebody? Yeah, no, I, why would I someone? Wish this on anyone. <laughs> why? What upside is there to Emma in, in any circle to sort of fake this? And I, I'm sorry to use those words, but some people might think that that's okay. what's going on here. But to me, this is you know just a, a deep journey to understand who Emma is and the need to be authentic. And and then I love that you said, well, I'm going to go to a therapist and I, I recognize this is a big deal. And if I transition genders, um, this is sort of a big deal. It's different than other things. And I like the way you went to a therapist and you said, I'm going to do this really thoughtfully. And I'm not going to do this. You didn't say this, but I would say, I'm not going to do this out of fear. But I'm doing this out of faith and out of very intentional um, turning to people that have experience in this space as I process this. And so I think you've done a r- really good job. And yeah, your marriage ended, and I like the way you just frame that up in kind of a factual way, but also the loss you felt. That was very real, and it just gives us an idea of your heart and your goodness and, and the loss there that you, that you feel. Um, I love that, and then you turn to therapy, and that's kind of... I guess where we are right now in the story. So you're doing a really good job. Thank you. I mean, I really like kind of what you pointed out of why would anyone want to do this? Why? I mean, it. The really only like benefit, and it's it sounds flippant to say it's the only one because it's such a huge one. The only benefit I've gotten to experience from transitioning genders is just feeling at home in my own body feeling like this is who i am and this is who i'm supposed to be and just sort of feeling not like my body doesn't belong to me or that like it's wrong or that i'm uncomfortable in it like that is the only real benefit that i've gotten i mean i've been discriminated against at work i've I've lost jobs because they were transphobic people who came into like authority in my work um i have been probably passed over for jobs that i've tried to get because i'm transgender and they my competition weren't um like there's just not there's not a lot of like social benefits (laughs) to it and and that's sort of segues me into so once i was divorced and i was really struggling with that loss the only not the only, but the vast majority of safe spaces for trans or queer people are bars and clubs and nightclubs, right? There's There are some that are, you know, like there's artistic spaces and there's some sort of like hangout spaces that are safe. And by safe, I just mean like you can go and be there and no one's going to harass you or judge you. But the vast majority of them are at like 
bars and clubs. And I mentioned having sort of that substance use history, and that didn't lend itself. So being depressed, being in a very heavily drinking environment wasn't a great combo. And I think when I'm conceptualizing why it would be good for people to feel more comfortable or more safe coming to church is that it's a wholesome environment, right? Like if I feel safe as a trans person coming to church and I don't feel like I'm going to be judged or ostracized or told to leave, I'm, you know, I'm getting to operate as who I am in a space that's not going to lend itself to, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It's for, for lack of a better way of putting it. Right. So, you know, I didn't have many, I made a lot of wonderful, you know, friends and acquaintances and I experienced a lot of very eye-opening things in my time kind of going and being in those very queer spaces. And I wouldn't really like give that away. I think I learned a great deal, but I don't go to those anymore. Obviously I'm back at church, so I don't drink, but um, I just find that I'd rather be in more wholesome, for lack of a better word, environments and being able to be at church and it be a safe place has been enormous for me. Um, and that's sort of, I'm skipping steps here in the, in the uh, outline. Um, so there was a handful of times after I transitioned that I thought about coming back to church. And every time I would always run into the fear of I'm not going to be accepted. They're not going to let me be there. Like they're going to make me detransition. Like this isn't something that is going to go well for me. Even though I wanted to come back, even though there was that longing to be in church and to like have that testimony again, I sort of would talk myself out of it and I wouldn't come back. Um, and that happened maybe four, three, four, five times in the span of a few years. Um, and just to sort of briefly explain why I came back to church, I, this is, it's an unexpected way, but I became a certified mindfulness teacher and in mindfulness practice, so formal mindfulness practices like meditation, I started doing a great deal of that. And, you know, I had some really sort of profound like perspective changes in the world about the world and about, you know, suffering and, and, you know, sort of this Buddhist idea of attachment and, you know, attachment leads to suffering, et cetera, et cetera. And I was sort of in that like mind space where I was trying to be very open and very not like judgmental of the world because part of mindfulness is being present on purpose in the present moment non-judgmentally and so i was sort of in that headspace when the sister missionaries called me and called and asked for brother thrumston which was my first last name my dead name as we call it in the trans community um and I 
was like, oh, why did I answer this phone call? I shouldn't have answered this. And they're like, is, you know, Brother Thrumston there? And I'm like, nope, he, this isn't his phone number anymore. I'm like, am I going to come out to these people? Like, I don't know. Uh, I'll just pretend like, nope, this isn't, you've, <laughs> wrong number, sorry. Um, And they had you know, been like, oh, okay, well, we're missionaries. Would you be willing to meet with us? And I'm like, no, I'm good. And they're like, well, would you be like, is there anything you need help with? No strings attached. And I was like, yeah, there's definitely strings attached. So no, I'm good. And like, we ended the phone conversation and I couldn't shake the feeling of like, I, and I think because I had kind of gotten to that like very peaceful inner state, I think the spirit was able to be much louder to be like, you need to go back to church. Like, no, 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 don't, don't, don't ignore this. You need to go back to church. You need to message them back and you need to find out when church is and you need to go back to church. And so I did. And that was a really hard decision. I was, I mean, I really wrestled with it for, I want to say three or four days of like, am I really going to do this? Am I really going to go to church? And I like, you know, read the church's policies on being a transgender member of the church and like what I can and can't do. And on one hand, it was very hopeful in that I could still go and I could still participate. And it was sad in some ways because of some of the restrictions that are put on people who transition socially or medically. Um, but I I decided to go once. I was like, I'm going to go one time and I'm going to see how it goes and we'll just go from there. And I didn't know that church had switched to two hours. Last time I went, it was still three hours. So I, in my brain, was like, I'm going to go to sacrament. I might go to the second meeting. And then when it's Relief Society or priesthood, I'm going to leave because like, I don't want to invite myself into a situation I'm not ready for. Um, cause I don't know how they're going to handle me, let alone me being in relief society, which is where I wanted to be. And of course it's only two hours. And of course it was the week that was relief society. <laughs> and I met the sister missionaries right as I walked in the door and they sat with me and they sort of introduced me. And then they were like, are you going to come to relief society? And I was just like, Oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And I'm like, I'm not going to make a fuss about this. Okay, sure. I'll go. <laughs> And I went and it was amazing. It was so, I don't know, validating in a way. It just, this, it felt like that's where I belonged. It felt so much better to me than priesthood ever had. Um, just because I felt like I was, I was with the people I was supposed to be with. Um, and, I decided to come back again. I was like, okay, this went pretty well. People have been, they were super nice to me. They they were very kind. And I was like, I don't know how many of them realized I was transgender. Um, I'd say maybe 60, 70% of people don't realize it when they meet me. Some of them do. But I mean, I even have therapy clients that don't know that I'm transgender, I'm pretty sure. So, and I sit very close with them you know, every week, like we're in a very small space and they don't even know. So I was sort of like, I don't know if they realized this. Um, 
And eventually I did come out to the sister missionaries and was like, mm, I'm going to solve all of the, I'm going to answer all the questions of like, you called Robert, who was my birth name, and you got me. And then I agreed to come to church and I know way more about church than someone that would just be a random person. So I was just like, I'm transgender. And they're like, you know, I kind of wondered. And they were very kind, very accepting. Um, they didn't treat me any differently and then the next week I met with the bishop and was like we should probably meet and I was like I want you to know I'm transgender like I know the church is true I know the Book of Mormon's true like I this is where I want to be the spirit has brought me back for a reason and this is where I want to be and I know that there's going to probably be some feathers that get ruffled by me being here. Um, and he had a really I think he, he tried his very best and he has continued to try his very best and I don't I think he's doing the best he can under the circumstances as someone who's not very familiar with transgender members or issues. Um, but he was very kind and, you know, the big question I asked is, am I going to get to continue to go to Release Society? Like, I went that week just because that's what happened. But is that something I'm going to get to continue to do? Because I would like to. And, you know, he was like, well, we need to maybe bring this up at our ward council and figure out, like, if anyone has any issues with that. And that's where very wonderful people, and I kind of think I told you a little bit about this before we started, that there were wonderful people who were just like, nope, this isn't even a question that this person should come to Relief Society. Like, why are we even having this conversation? She's a woman. She's here. She belongs here. We want her here. And that was not expected at all. When I came back, I was very worried that I would have to, like, fight for it. And... That to me just confirms that like there is divine timing in this of why I came back when I did, when the spirit was telling me, like, you need to go back to church. I'm going to make this easy for you to do because I had that feeling. I sort of had that confirmation from the spirit of like, I've, you know, we have prepared the way for you to come back. And that I found that to be very, very true so far. Um, that's a really powerful story. We're not done with this podcast yet, listeners, but I just wanted to interject some of the wording you used about your desire to come back is once you're trans, you're looking for safe places. And it sort of helped me understand as <laughs> I have lots of safe places, you know, as a heterosexual cisgender man, but you helped me and may our listeners understand what it's like to find safe places a transgender woman in our society and some of those places that you we all have this need to belong you use the word longing emma and, and you also recognize that you wanted safe places where you could grow in a healthy way and and um and you knew the church had been that for you and you had this testimony all these years of not being you know active in the church and how critical those first tender moments were for you 
when you walked in that ward and those sisters just loving you and inviting you really society. And then I think of that ward council discussing you. And I just think then the way Jesus treated people in the ward council to me did exactly what Jesus taught to do in his ministry is everybody feels welcome. Everybody, even people we don't feel completely comfortable around or that we're not used culturally to be around or that are different from us. Jesus' ministry was so much about bringing everybody in and inclusion, acceptance. And I love that your word council just said, of course, she's welcome with us. And of course, she can go to Release Society. And in the handbook, that's allowed. It's not like the word council went AWOL. <laughs> um, and how much that meant to you and how brave it is of you, Emma, to walk into church. I can't imagine what it was like. And I love your mindfulness and your, your, your rec- you're very self-aware of just who you are. Um, and the mindfulness you went through to then be able to say, okay, maybe I'm in a, a spot, emotionally healthy spot where I can reconnect with the church and, and have enough emotional capital to navigate some of the complex things that may happen. And just the work you did to get to that space. So that's just, it's like a beautiful ward love story. And it's not perfect. And I'm sure it's been choppy and you may get to some of that. But it's a credit to you and your testimony of the church and your testimony of who you are. Um, and just understanding both of those truths in your life and moving forward. So I'll turn it back to you um, for just more of your story. Yeah, I mean, you kind of brought up um, copy things. And I'm going to say for the vast majority, I've only been going for a couple months. I've come back. Um, for the vast majority of it, it has been wonderful. People have been so kind. I've made several friends, sisters in the church that, you know, they care a lot about me. They, a lot of them have, I think, similar ideas of thinking that like, why are we even having to question this? Like, why, why, like, why did we have to have a ward council about it? Like, you should just be allowed to be here. And that's been very validating. I know that that's not how everyone approaches it, but it's been very nice to, you know, encounter those people because I didn't think I ever would. I didn't think I would get, I thought maybe I'd get like begrudging acceptance. I didn't think I would get like full, like complete acceptance and like advocacy on my part. I didn't expect that. Um, so that's a testament to just how I think those sisters really are living, you know, like you said, the gospel of Christ, that this is, you know, to accept all of us, you know, any, you said it better than I'll say it. So we'll just leave it the way you said it. But um, there have been bumps in the road and one of them is a calling. So I actually, I not only approached the Relief Society presidents, but also the bishop and told each one of them, like, I would like a calling. Like, if there's a calling, I want one because I don't ever want to leave the church again. I don't ever want to, like, lose my testimony or my faith. And I know that if I have a calling, that's just another thing, like, anchoring me into the church and into my faith. And... 
and I don't know, I'm sure it happens sometimes, but I don't know how often. And both of them both kind of gave me this like, never had anyone ask me this before, but I don't know that people often go to the leadership and say, please give me a calling at church. <laughs> I think people are willing and accept it when they get it, but I don't know that too many seek it out. So um, <clears throat> it was really disheartening though, because, and again, my bishop, I know he, like, I have all the faith that he is doing everything he can to be supportive of me in the role that he has to play in the church and abide by the handbook and the policies of the church. And, you know, instead of it just being a conversation of like, well, what kind of calling should we do? Like, this is great, you know, talking about it. It was, well, I need to meet with the stake president for me to talk to him to find out even if you can have a calling and what callings you can have. And that I knew would probably happen. I knew that I was going to run into a lot of this stuff when I came back because I had read the handbook on you know, being transgender in the church. And I knew I'd run into it and it didn't stop it from being very disheartening. I felt very, I, I had a very hard day that Sunday after I met with the bishop because I just was very sad. Of like, I just want to be there. I just want to participate. And like, I'm not even trying to make it all about my gender. Like, I don't, I, I'm not here to be some like, transgender warrior in the church i just want to come and i want to participate the way i would have if i hadn't transitioned um so that was that was definitely a bump in the road um another bump in the road and i won't talk too much about this but you know recently there was um the legislature that got passed about same-sex marriage gay marriage and the church played a role in that and they were at the there were members of the church at the signing and you know they put out a press release you know really kind of praising the legislature when i read the release though it very much read to me like we're really happy that this legislature makes it so that we don't have to participate in gay marriage. <laughs> that's sort of how I read it. It's not exactly what they said, but that's sort of how it came across. And that was that was really hard um, because I have this sort of interesting wrinkle in my life that I am a trans woman. So I present as female. I look like a woman, but I am still attracted to women. I'm not attracted to men. And so I'm in this sort of like weird position of the church technically sees me, my eternal gender as male. So technically I'm still male to them, even though I've transitioned genders legally and medically. So the question becomes, am I supposed to, if I ever get married, am I supposed to marry a man or a woman? And I think the church would say a woman, but then there's sort of this like reluctance to have anything same sex. So I, I, that's something I've been trying to wrap my head around this week, particularly. So um, that's just another way that I think... I have a struggle with being at church. It's just like not quite knowing how to handle that because I don't want to be alone and celibate my whole life. And 
Am I going to have to marry someone who's not in the church because I'm never going to find someone who's in the church that would be, do you see where I'm kind of going yeah. with that? So, um, so that was, that was sort of a hard day reading that press release. And, you know, it was honestly the first time I thought about not coming anymore after coming back. It was the first time that I was like, do I really want to stay here? And, you know, I decided, no, I do. I do. Like, I'm never leaving. I don't, even if it's hard and difficult, I'm never leaving again, ever. So um, that's sort of just to speak to some of those, like, speed bumps or bumps in the road that you talked about. And those are really honest. And I've learned that even if I don't experience the pain I can't, I don't want to dismiss your experience by a platitude or, you know, saying, Emma, you're reading too much into that. I just have learned listeners to sit with you in the complexities of your road and often not give platitude answers that are minimize the, the, how complicated this is. I love that you talked about you want to be married. And I loved in that process, you helped us understand, you know, my sexual orientation has always been fixed. Um, you didn't use that word, but you know, you've always been attracted to women. And so your sexual orientation yeah. is always, that didn't change. And that's sort of hardwired into you, but your gender identity is you, as you learned about this, you realize your gender identity is female and you'd love to have companionship. Um, cause you're sexually attracted to women. And if I said all that, right. And so somebody a long time yeah, ago no. kind of separated that for me. Gender identity is one thing and sexual orientation is another thing. And and one of those has changed for you and one hasn't. And that's, I hear more stories of people's gender identity, not really changing, but just becoming aware of who they are. And in fact, listeners, if you had seen Emma's face back in the podcast when she talked about that dream and waking up, realizing this sort of having the dots connected, there was this huge smile on your face. And I could just see some people talk about the euphoria of having your gender match and this mismatch, this this dysphoria. And as you saw that in that dream and just, and it makes me, it helps me understand something I don't have any personal experience with is when I see the happiness in your face as you talk about how much better off you are um, being a woman because that's who you are and that's who you've always felt you are. And so to me, that's just, grace to give you that space it's not my job as a fellow latter-day saint to sort of put you in a box that maybe makes things more more less complicated for me or my worldview but i just create space for you to have your own lived experience and do what your word's trying to do is love you so i uh, and then i think of you know just the complexity of your road and and uh, you know and i I I look, I have hope. Our church is an ongoing restoration. We have an article of faith that talks about that. I hope that um, that we will have more experience in this space and we get more like light and understanding to support our transgender members. Because here you are proactively saying, I want to serve. Um, I want to reach out and bless other people. And between your own lived experience, your experience with addiction, I think you could really help people in that space. Your work as a therapist, you have so much to give. And I think of the body of Christ and Paul, where we say all parts of the body are worthy. 
We can't look at one part of the body of Christ and say it's not worthy. And in, in some ways, we do that with you sometimes because you're we say we're not quite sure you can serve. You're welcome to be here. but And so you're just in this really tough space where we're not to the finish line of fully supporting our transgender members and fully seeing their contributions to help us create Zion because you do things and can bless people in a way that other people can't. And and then you're muted a little bit in your ability to do that. And you have a lot of strength with your character to sort of navigate that. But I think your story helps us realize why some people just step away. I, I, you've heard this, um, Emma, but we talk about this on the podcast. It's Brene Brown's quote, fitting in is about assessing a situation and becoming who you need in order to be accepted. Belonging, which is what you have done, on the other hand, doesn't require us to change who we are, but it requires us to be who we are. And so you are who you are. And then the responsibility is on us. I've got a picture here when I give this slide of everybody, you know, if you haven't heard me talk about this, think of square holes, sorry, think of round holes and round pegs. And that's our heteronormative world. And in the past, when a square peg came along, somebody that's queer, we kind of put it on them to sort of figure this out, maybe even become a round peg somehow, go to therapy or pray it away. And now we're realizing this is who you are. You are actually a square peg. And and actually, that's a good thing. We need square pegs and round pegs to create Zion. But then the responsibility is on us as your fellow Latter-day Saints and your ward in St. Paul is doing some of that to create a square hole for you. And so that you can fully belong and you can be authentic in that process. And, and that's the way you know, listeners, that I sort of try to understand this space and that we're better off with you. <laughs> so you're really brave. You're a trailblazer. You're so courageous. And um, and your story, when I hear stories like you, I just invite all of us to say, what can I do? Um, you know, I walked at Elders Corps in my own ward when we when um, someone shared a trans joke and it was just so painful for me. And I thought that's not what Jesus would do. And that's not what Zion is. And um, so I just think of, you know, right now we're in a political world where being trans is politically sort of in the bullseye of, of the political conversation. So here you're on the middle, middle of that and people are sort of pol- polarizing the existence of trans people in a way that's really unhelpful. And that bleeds into um, the culture of our congregations, listeners. So there's no space in our congregations, in our family circles for jokes about queer people. Jesus would never make those jokes. And if we make those jokes, then the queer people in our lives are going to withdraw. And the allies like me um, are going to feel bad because we know how much it hurts queer people. So part of Zion is just consistently saying kind things about queer people because they are in our congregations and some are brave and out like you, Emma, and some aren't and are just trying to figure out if, if they can belong because they long for the belonging that and because of our doctrine and because of our community. So I kind of went off on a tangent, but I want to send it back to you, Emma. No, no, I think... Um, you said something that made me think of this, and I don't remember exactly what you said, but it sort of prompted me to think about um, 
So in the outline, I talked about, you know, wanting to discuss a little bit about like medical Good. research that's been done around gender transition, like treatments. So when I was in grad school, getting my master's degree, I did a lot of my like research on like how, you know, how to best help and improve mental health outcomes for people who are gender nonconforming or transgender. Like at what point in development does gender incongruence show up? And like, I, I became very, very like immersed in sort of the psychological, psychiatric and medical research that was done. Um <clears throat> And there was a great deal of research that came out of, um, I think it was in, it's in Eastern Europe. They have like a gender clinic there and they, I forget the names of the doctors that worked on this, but they have done many, 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 many studies of what gender affirming medical treatments do for people who go through them. And a lot of it was directed towards like adolescence. So if an adolescent comes out and says, I think I'm transgender and they go through the process of like stopping hormones and then replacing hormones and possibly having, you know, surgeries, gender affirming surgeries, what they find is that I think it was well over 90% of them had dramatic increases in their like level of confidence, their ability to socialize with others. They had serious like reductions in depression and anxiety and like hopelessness. And so there's like all this research that really demonstrates that, you know, undergoing medical transitions can have very profound positive mental health outcomes. And, you know, I think as transgender has become that political issue, we often hear about um, how trans people are much, much more likely to commit suicide or to, you know, to die by suicide. Like twice as, twice as maybe more than twice the rate of like standard population. So, I want to bring all that back into like, how does that play into church, right? And the gospel and, you know, the plan of salvation. And I just want to offer an idea or question. Sorry, my food that I'm cooking. One second. Can I go and Yeah. So, you know, kind of bringing it back, um, I want to offer the question of, do we really think it's a coincidence that there are so many transgender people coming out in the world? And I want to say, I believe it's much more, it's happening much more than it did in history. I think there have always been transgender people, but I think we're seeing so many more come out, so many more recognize that that's what's going on. You know, is it a coincidence that this is happening? And if, you know, we believe that we are in pre-mortal existence and God sent us here and this is part of who we are, is it a coincidence that this is happening in the only era in human history where we actually had the medical capabilities to treat the condition, right? So I don't think it's a coincidence personally. I think, you know, I recently had someone kind of suggest to me 
that um, I had talked about struggling with not knowing if I was going to get a calling and they had more or less made the suggestion that I was, I needed to repent and that I needed to not have transitioned and that, you know, they kind of came at it from that direction. And the response I gave, and this is something I firmly believe, and this is just my personal belief is that, you know, I think heavenly father sent people like me here with this specifically to test whether or not his children would live the gospel and treat us with compassion, right? Like, I don't, and they had sort of suggested this idea that I had said that God was, that I had said God was wrong. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't think God was wrong. I don't think he made a mistake. I think he specifically made me this way. And I think there's a reason he did that. And I don't think it's a coincidence he sent me to Earth in the only era where I'd be able to be treated for it. So I just want to throw that out there. That's my little soapbox. I love that, Emma, and I I love it. To me, it's just God's in the details, and God has a plan. And and I just, you know, listeners, I just recognize that I develop opinions about trans people without listening to a single trans person and. The spirit kind of rebuked me, so I'm glad you're listening to Emma, and you're doing better than I was doing ten years ago by listening to listening to a trans person, because then our hearts open up and our minds open up, and we can set aside unearned opinions and develop opinions, earned opinions based on listening to people like Emma, and then minds come into our mind about ideas come into our mind about how to support. I'm going to read just a comment that I think supports what you're saying. It's in. My book listeners, I always link to my book in the show notes. It's in chapter eight or nine about supporting transgender Latter-day Saints. This is a quote from a mother of a trans child. Um, I don't believe Satan's work is to deceive people into being LGBTQ or trans. Instead, Satan takes these precious children of God and tells them they're worthless. He tells them there's no place for them. He tells them God, God no longer loves them. He resides in their shame. Satan also resides in our fears, knowing that our fears will hinder our, our ability to love. His goal is to tear families apart and drive people away. He is succeeding, not because this group is deceived and are now gay or trans. He is succeeding because he's keeping us from coming together as the body of Christ and loving with pure Christ-like love. So, Emma, I just when you talk about your story and I hear her comments, a mom of a trans kiddo, I think, you know, I do think that God is saving some of his best children for the last days. Um, and your existence is not a sign of the last days in a negative way, but in a positive way. So thank you for sharing more. We've got time. I'd love to, you to continue to share your story, um, including that. You know, if you're ready for your closing segment or your YouTube channel or anything else you'd like to share. Um, yeah, I, if it's okay, I want to share one more thing and then I'll please. talk about the YouTube. Yeah, please. Um, There's plenty of time. So, uh, you know, I talked briefly about um, some of the like church policies and those sort of restrictions. And I don't know that too many people are aware specifically what those are. So, um one of the restrictions is that I'm not able to go to the temple. I'm not able to have a temple recommend and um, I'm not able to like, you know, perform 
and temple ordinances. And that is something that is probably the hardest thing about coming back to church is I the the one thing that I want to accomplish before I like leave this mortal plane is I want to go through the temple and be endowed. And that's not something I ever did. And as it stands right now, it's not something that would ever be possible without basically first presidency saying, okay, yeah, we'll let you do that. And, and that I think is something that, it's something that I struggle with, and it, it's probably the hardest part about being active in the church is knowing when they're talking about people going to the temple and talking, you know, when other members are sharing their experiences and the blessings of it, that it's not something I get to do, all because I made this decision. And I think I, I don't know if I said it when we were talking, but, you know, this is sort of a life or death decision for me. I was either going to not live anymore or I was going to transition. And so the idea of like detransitioning so I can go to the temple is, it's just not, not going to happen. So as it stands, if nothing changes, and I kind of said this before to you, I have to wait until I die and someone else goes through the temple for me to get that ordinance, right? And that that just breaks my heart that I am so like adamant about being at church and I have to wait until I'm dead to get it. So just want to bring that up, that that's a struggle. I'm so glad, Emma, you brought that up. Uh, you know, if, yeah. if I read all the Temple Recommend questions right now, um, I think you could answer all the Temple Recommend questions. So this isn't a question of you can't answer the questions. You can answer the questions, I'm assuming. And maybe more important than that, if you listen to that last segment, listeners, this deep desire you have to go to the Temple, I think it's an, an outward expression of your inner testimony of our restored church and the power of ordinances. And our doctrine to bless your life and your yearning for those those promises, those temple promises in your own life. And, and so it's just a paradox for me. And I'm just, I sit with you as much as I can in the pain. There's nothing I can say, listeners, that I think no simple answers, no platitudes, no, well, it'll all be good in the next life, Emma, and then I can go on my merry way. To me, it's just sitting with you in the pain of your situation and validating that and not dismissing it in any way. And I'm just sorry, but here you have these two truths in your life, your love of the church, your desire to go to the temple and your desire to be authentic and how both are blessing your life and you want, don't want to give up one for the other. And so you're living in this very difficult space that very few Latter-day Saints are in right now, you know, and I think more and more will want to, that will be comfortable with their gender identity and have a deep testimony of the church. We've had some of those on the podcast, but are sort of in this space that I hope we just get more light understanding as we become a better people. To use that, I, there's room in our theology to grow, <laughs> listeners. It's you know we've have adjustments all the times to policy. Um, I would argue our doctrine changes. I don't think it's an unfaithful position to look historically and say that some of the things we taught we don't teach anymore and our doctrine has changed as we get 
more light and understanding. I don't think it's an unfaithful position to say our doctrine could change or that we personally hope it changes. I think where I sort of draw the line in the sand is not creating advocacy for doctrinal changes. So I don't know Heavenly Father's will, and I'm not a leader of the church, so I'll let our leader ch- leaders of our church lead on these issues, and I'll support them, but I'm completely open um, that our doctrine will change, and we're not at the finish line, and I think there's room in our theology for that. And so I just, I hope that there's changes that improve your experience, Emma, and that would be my prayer, that there will be for you and all my trans and queer friends in the church and oh, and out of the church, that the way we talk about queer people that leave the church will improve and will we'll not make them the hero one day for being in the church and the villain the next day for leaving the church. We'll just see them as Heavenly Father's children doing the best they can that are worthy of our love, regardless of the road they walk. So more thoughts from you, and I want to make sure we get to your YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. I, I would agree that. And that's, I think, a perspective that changed in me from when I was in church before to when I came back is like, I, I do recognize that there have been times in church history where things have changed. Doctrine has changed. Policy has changed. Practices have changed. And I don't, I agree that I don't think it's an unfaithful position to believe that it, that could happen again. Right. I mean, Christ will always be at the center and, you know, that'll never change, but some of the practices might. So my hope is one day I'll get to go to the temple and that'll be a practice that changes, but I guess we'll see. Um, <clears throat> so the YouTube channel. So when I was in that couple of days of wrestling with, am I going to go back to church? Am I really going to do this? I went looking for, um, I couldn't quite know exactly what I was looking for, but I wanted to find someone, anyone talking about why they go to church, right? Like I wanted to almost have like a fast and testimony meeting type testimony, right? That I could like watch or listen to. And um At the time, I wasn't able to find exactly what I was looking for. And the closest thing I found was the the official church YouTube channel had put out a video that was just a few minutes long of like interviewing converts of like, you know, interviewing kind of what I'm doing right now of asking like, what did you know about the church? What were your impressions? Why'd you join? Right. And it was very, very short. They had a lot of different converts that participated in it, and they only showed little blurbs of what they said. It wasn't very extensive. And that was something that I wanted more of. And at the time, I didn't find anything like that. Um, I I have found some more of that kind of stuff as I have continued to navigate into the social media realm of the church. But... um, I decided that I wanted to start a YouTube channel. Now, I had run a YouTube channel for two years um, about mental health things that I had to take down because I talked about my mental health and me as a therapist. It wasn't appropriate for my clients to be able to learn about that as boundaries. You have to have professional (laughs) boundaries. Um, And having to end that channel was really heartbreaking. It was really sad. I kind of had this feeling of like why did 
why did I even do this? It just feels like a waste because I had to take everything down. And so I'm in this place of I wanted this type of content and I was mourning the loss of this. And I was, you know, what if, even though I wasn't in church, I was being prepared to learn the skills of running a YouTube channel because you have to have skills. It's not easy. It's rather complicated. And I kind of had this like aha moment and the spirit seemed to confirm that I had been prepared so that I could start. It's called Stories of Latter-day Faith. That's the name of the channel. I could start a YouTube channel to put more positive content out in the YouTube space because a lot of YouTube space, when you search, you know, Latter-day Saints or Mormon, you get a lot of anti-church stuff. You get a lot of anti-church podcasts. You get a lot of, like, making fun of Latter-day Saints, like, people talking about why I left the church, right? And I wanted to sort of inject more of, like, why did I come to church and why did I convert? Or if you're a lifelong member, like, why am I still going to church and what has this faith done for me? And... I want it to become something that, you know, if somebody is looking into the church and they are on YouTube and they can look and say, oh, what is this channel? This person's talking about why they became a Latter-day Saint. And hopefully, you know, watch that and see and feel the sort of spirit of, wow, I want that, right? Like, this person's talking about how this has been so powerful to them. I want that. Without the sort of pressure of, like, having a missionary there trying to get you to right so a little more like they can come to it right um and it's a relatively new channel and i kind of told you at the beginning one of the issues i'm running into is i don't have enough people to interview i've interviewed two people i have another one set up for the day after i'm meeting with you but then after that I'm kind of at a place where I need to find people who are willing to share their stories of conversion. So if anyone out there is listening and wants to help with that, I would love to interview you and hear your story. I love you're doing that. How would people connect you in the show notes? I can link to your Instagram or what, what do you want to put yep. in the show notes so that people look for it so they can find you? Yeah, they can find me on Instagram at um, my name is the underscore mindful underscore mormon so okay. the mindful mormon um the youtube is stories of latter-day faith um if they want to email me there's stories of latter-day faith at gmail.com so, we'll, so i have a gmail that's connected to it so we will put those in the show notes listeners or instagram the youtube channel and the and the gmail so you can connect with emma um it's worth just pausing and recognizing that you're proactively trying to build faith in our church where our church doesn't completely have a full place with for you. Um, I'm aware of the irony of that. And to me, it's an insight into your heart, your commitment to the church. You're wanting to connect people with the, the healing of our restored doctrine, the hope that's in our church, Christ. And it's remarkable, Emma that you're proactively doing this. No one asked you to do this. Um, no. And that you've come well, on this. I think God asked me to. But. <laughs> well, there you go. And you've come on this podcast because you recognize in the social media world, 
there's a lot of negative content and you want to do what you can do to bring forth stories of people that are joining their ch- the church so other people can hear those. And a lot of people joining our church, including queer people, you know, we've had a number of queer people on the church, on the podcast that are joining the church. So um, we, I think that's remarkable. Um, you know, listeners, whenever, and is the expert of this, but you know, if you're trans, I think we've done this, but I just invite you to go slow. I think Emma did that. And then I think you've got to write your own story. I think you can listen to a lot of trans stories and a lot of society will tell you how to do this. And Emma's talked about the medical, the social, and the legal transition. Um, But you've got to own this and you've got to do it not out of fear, but out of faith in what's right for you. So everybody I interview that experiences gender dysphoria, that's my general advice is to go slow, work with therapists, have a relationship with your heavenly father. Um, listen to lots of stories. At the end of the day, you got to write your own story from a position of strength. And I think Emma has done that. And she owns kind of this story and she's done this the way that's right for her in a really thoughtful way. And I do agree with the research she cited because I've read similar research that, you know, people's emotional health improves. <laughs> Um, when they deal with their gender dysphoria and everybody's going to deal with that in a way that's unique to them. So find people that help you go, help you just do that the best way you can. Um, are you okay with that general advice that I just gave as a non-therapist to, um, people experience gender dysphoria and are working to deal with that? Yeah. I mean, I think when we, interact or are trying to improve sort of our understanding of anyone who's from a different culture or a different orientation. Um, It's so important to listen to the voices of those people, not to demand, not to like go find a trans person and be like, tell me all about this. But, you know, there are plenty of us out there who are doing advocacy. And I've done that for many years of trying to help people better understand what it's like to live this experience. And yeah, I think if you're able to sit in the discomfort of listening to something that is probably going to be very foreign, I think it may have a very profound positive change on how you like, just how you view all of Heavenly Father's children. So, Well, thank you, Emma. I'm just deeply moved. Um, I get the blessing of seeing you. You're full of light and goodness and hope, and you represent the future of our world and our church and just people that are stepping forward, proactively wanting to help other people and create Zion. So, um, listeners, I'm really grateful to have Emma Edmonds, E-D-W-I-N-S, on the podcast. So this is Emma and Richard signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. 